You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to have uh, many from our at-home locations with us this morning in the building and uh, for many of you watching, maybe at your at-home location or at home, wherever you might be, it's such an honor to have you with us. Today, we're kicking off a new series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And uh, if you've been uh, part of our church maybe for a little while, you might have noticed for the last few months, we've been doing a morning devotional every morning, 7.30, during weekdays. And, and we're in the middle of a, a series right now. We're walking through the Bible book by book. And you might want, like, why are we even doing that? This is why. We live in one of the most biblically illiterate cultures in American history. Um, we basically get what we think the Bible says from movies and TV shows and uh, other sort of media sources. And there's so much that is out there that people think uh, Scripture says it. They attribute it to Scripture that isn't actually there. And uh, what we're going to be doing throughout this month is really talking about some things that the Bible doesn't actually say. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the American God. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Maybe you've heard that before. That is not located in the book of Proverbs. Um, and we're going to talk about that. The next week, we're going to talk about the, that God has favorites. And then we're going to close out uh, this uh, entire uh, series talking about that God wants you to be happy. Um, so we're going to be talking about that throughout this month. Uh, it got the things the Bible doesn't say. Today is going to be special. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit here, but we're going to have uh, two of our pastors, Pastor Dave Brock and Pastor Dave Martin up here as well for a little panel discussion, and you're going to have the opportunity to text in questions uh, about what we're talking about. It's not just about anything. Don't, don't text, you know, what's your favorite candy bar, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, what's your favorite <laughs> restaurant, Taco Bell, we've eliminated those now. That's their, their favorites too, because that's everyone's favorites, <laughs> right? Um, so we've eliminated the big two. Um, where, where does Michael Cool shop? Um, H&M, I'm thinking. I don't know where he's at. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll hit those questions. We're not talking about those questions. We're going to have opportunity to text in questions um, really about what we're talking about. So we're talking about the American God. Now, over the last uh, 2,000 years, there have been thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of portraits painted of Jesus. All kinds of different cultures, parts of the world. And, and you might not know this, but it wasn't really until the early Middle Ages that pictures of Jesus started to surface more and more widespread. Now, this is because early believers in the first century and two had this strong belief that painting a picture, they didn't take pictures, they didn't have iPhones back then, but painting pictures of Jesus ran contrary to the second commandment in the Ten Commandments of graven images. They didn't want to put a physical image to Jesus or to God, so they didn't paint them uh, more widespread. It wasn't until something uh, known as the Quinisect Council in 692 AD that uh, they determined at this uh, council synod for the Episcopal Church that uh, such representations could actually be spiritually helpful to the faithful. And this is what they said. They declared that henceforth Christ our God must be represented in his human form. In fact, from that moment, uh, the emperor of Rome, Justinian II, uh, issued a decree that put the portrait of Jesus on every coin. That was something that was uh, quickly restored back to its original state uh, by emperors that followed where they put the emperor's portrait on the 
coin again after Justinian II. But at that moment, Jesus' picture was on the, the Roman coins, gold coins. And while there uh, already been, uh, had been pictorial uh, examples of Jesus up to this point, before this synod, uh, it became more widespread following this. And what I thought will be fascinating today is to maybe look over just a few, a handful of the pictures of Jesus over the last 2,000 years. And, and what's interesting and to take note of is how Jesus has changed in picture form based on the time period, the culture, and the country uh, that, that he was painted in. And so I'm going to hit some of these real quick. The, the oldest known portrait of Jesus was found in Syria, dates to about 235 A.D., and it shows him, you can kind of see this picture, it's a hard picture to, to pick to, to see, but um, shows him as a beardless young man of authoritative and dignified bearing. Now, he's depicted dressed in the style of a young philosopher. I feel like I'm doing like a, 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 some kind of like fashion show here. Uh, but uh, he's depicted dressed in the style of a young philosopher with clothes cropped hair and wearing a tunic and pallium, which were signs of good breeding in Greco-Roman society. So they depicted Jesus in a way that looked good in that culture. Uh, not necessarily how he actually looked, but what looked good in that culture. Fast forward, between 410 417 AD, uh, this next picture is a mosaic that was created for the pontification of Pope Innocent I. Um, that's a great name, Pope Innocent I. In the painting, Christ is shown as a human figure wearing a golden toga with purple trim. Now, I don't see that in Scripture anywhere that Jesus ever wore a gold toga with purple trim. But in this picture, he's sitting on a jewel-encrusted uh, throne, which are all signs of Roman imperial authority. So you see the culture basically kind of working its way into this picture of Jesus. Fast forward to the 6th century. This picture is called Christ uh, Pantocrator. Uh, Pantocrator literally means he who has authority over anything. Uh, You see in this picture symbols of authority, of power put with Jesus, that Jesus had authority. But these were symbols that that made sense in that culture in the 6th century. Uh, Fast forward to one of the probably best-known paintings ever of Jesus from the 15th century, known as The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, This picture, uh, of course, reflects a lot of the Italian culture in the 15th century and a lot of the things that you would have seen present in that time period and in that country. Uh, Now, uh, these older pictures, paintings, are interesting when you especially contrast them with maybe some depictions of Jesus in more modern day times. And uh, so there were a bunch of movies over the last 60, 70 years that have been made about Jesus, specifically in America. And here's a few of the depictions. 1961, movie called King of Kings. We see this picture of Jesus. I'm not sure if that's what he looked like, but this is what he looked like in the movie. Uh, Fast forward 1973, there was a movie put out called Gospel Road, The Story of Jesus. This is pretty epic. Johnny Cash narrates a Holy Land tour with a dramatized, uh, dramatized life of Jesus set to country music. If that doesn't say classic, I don't know what will. Um, 1973, Jesus, he has blonde hair. Jesus was in the Middle East. He never had blonde hair. Uh, that's not really even possible. Um, but in this movie, he had blonde hair. Fast forward, 1979, one of the most widely circulated movies about Jesus, literally just called Jesus, but it was circulated all over the world, 1979 movie of Jesus. Uh, 2003, one of my favorite pictures of Jesus, the visual Bible, Gospel of John, I like to refer to this as hippie Jesus. He (laughs) looks really cool. Um, 
This is Jesus. And the most well-known in modern times, though, is, of course, 2004, the Passion of the Christ. And you see Jesus there. Through these changing pictures of Jesus, we see something that I think is really important, illustrates uh, what we want to talk about today. The idea that we often project our own ideas and culture onto Jesus, onto who God is. We oftentimes allow our view, our angle, our worldview, all of that, to naturally project to to, to this idea that, oh, God probably sees things the way I see them. God probably does things the way I would do them. And as we kick off this series, we want to look at what the Bible doesn't say, the American God. Is, is God even un-American? Does is, is he see things the way we do in 21st century America? In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, uh, we read this passage. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Uh, we see in this passage that we were created in God's image. We were created in God's image. But human history has proven to us that we often try to return the favor and try to create God in our image. Now, while this is a normal human behavior, it can be incredibly dangerous. It's very easy for us to assume that God is more like us or that God thinks like a 21st century American or, or like, like, like someone that looks like us or talks like us or acts like us. And, and, if, and if, if God is naturally like us, then we must like all the things, he must like all the things that we like and view the world the way we view it. Like people might not say this, but they assume God is of course a Republican. Or, 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 or others might think it makes sense. God is naturally a Democrat. Uh, the reality is, though, that God we serve is actually uh, God of the Democrats, the Republicans, the Communists, the Libertarians. He's God of all. He's not just God of one. And the problem we find ourselves in, in this point in history is we are told and often almost forced to pick sides. No matter what the issue is, we're given two sides and we're told you have to pick one. You must pick one. Ford or Chevy? Mac or PC? We're told, pick Heinz or Hunts. That's not really a choice. I mean, that, that's a given, Tynes. But Chick-fil-A or Popeyes, a liberal or conservative, black lives matter or blue lives matter. Masks are safe. Masks are controlling. Is it tomato or tomato? Is the dress black and blue or is it white and gold? Can you wear white after Labor Day or is that a fashion taboo? We have all of these debates and we're all told to pick one. And, and, and what our culture is telling us is you pick one and everyone on the other side is your enemy. And, and that's where we find ourselves in. And, and so you may have brought that same approach into your theology or your understanding of God. And, and you naturally assume that God sides with you. And, and, and when in reality, God is actually siding with all. You see, God isn't an, he's not an American God. He's not a Russian God. He's not even a Jewish God. He is a God of all. One of the great examples of this, uh, of how we land on this topic, is found in the Gospels by Jesus, a story about Jesus in the first century. In this story, the religious leaders were trying to trick Jesus into taking sides during a very politically charged time in Jerusalem as the Romans were physically enforcing their power and authority over the constant resistance of the Jews. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap, them in his, trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know, what you are, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. 
you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Now, now notice the language that they're using here to create sides. They're, they're already kind of drawing the, the lines and, and, and already trying to put the sides up of, of you're over here and you're over here. It goes on in verse 17. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, at a moment where Jesus was pushed to pick a side, he actually refuses. And instead, he takes this important approach that I think would serve us all very well at a time uh, that we find ourselves in. And here's the idea. God is not, God's not for your side. He's for you. He's not for your side. He's for you. It's because God isn't created in our image. We are created in his. You see, when, when we assume God has an American view of things, we start to conform God to our perspective. The Bible, though, is really clear that it's the opposite that should be happening. We are incredibly blessed to live in this nation and enjoy the freedoms that we have. We, we, do, uh, we, we aren't any more important, though, in God's eyes than a brother or sister in Christ who lives in Zambia or Brazil or in China. You see, the Apostle Paul explains in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. That doesn't mean we renounce our American citizenship or shame the nation that we live in. We're proud to be part of this nation. But it's recognizing God's not for your side. He's for you. Because God isn't created in our image. We are created in his image. I'm proud to be an American. I won't sing. That would be rough. But I'm proud to be an American. Just as Paul was proud to be a Roman citizen. But my earthly citizenship doesn't give me the right to renounce my responsibilities as a citizen of heaven and as a follower of Jesus. We'll dive into the nuance of this in a few moments through our panel discussion. But before we get to that, I want to finish up with this final statement that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says this, but seek first. Can you say with me, seek first? Seek first. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, God doesn't pick sides, but he calls us to a path, a path of pursuing his kingdom first. It's Jesus first, country second. That doesn't mean we abandon our nation because as Jeremiah states in Jeremiah 29, we are called to pray for the prosperity of the place that we live. Our first commitment though is to the path of Jesus, seeking first his kingdom. Because God isn't created in our image, we are created in his image. And at this time, I want to invite Pastor Dave Brock and Pastor Dave Martin up here. And we're going to take some time to, uh, to kind of ask some questions about this. This is a really nuanced topic, uh, an interesting topic, and uh, I think it's important for us to get, you know, a variety of views. Before we jump into the topic real quick, uh, this week is a really special week. Um, this Friday on July 10th, Pastor Dave and Pastor Dave celebrate a birthday. Um, both of them, the same day, they were born the same year. Incredible. Um, so to celebrate their birthday, we have something special for them. Um, we have birthday crowns. So you have to put this on for at least a moment. Did I get the right one? There you go. At least for a moment. 
And we're going to sing, for those of you that are in the building right now, if you're sitting at home and you're at home location, please join us. We're going to sing happy birthday to Pastor Dave and Pastor Dave, and we want to embarrass them as much as possible. Um, That's our job here. Yeah. So everyone on three, we're going to sing happy birthday to Pastor Dave and Pastor Dave, and uh, this will be wonderful. Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. I'm going to turn my mic off. Happy birthday to you. All right. Now that we got the awkwardness out of the way and uh, had a really fun moment, happy birthday to both of you. Um, They're going to be turning 28, each of you. Yes. Right? 21. Yeah. We're all going to really love. We won't tell you which year it is. One of us looks really good for our Um, age. So... (laughs) Or or really bad, I guess. I don't know which how that works. I look bad. I don't you know. went there. I went there. Sorry. <laughs> um, here's some questions I want to run uh, by you guys as we talk about this idea. And before I jump into these questions, you can text a question uh, to 724-860-8653. And uh, we're going to be trying to field a lot of those questions about what we're talking about today. So not just about anything random, as I mentioned earlier. So just kind of kick things off, guys. What causes us to project our 21st century American perspective onto God? Sure. So uh, I think one of the things in being part of the millennial generation is just kind of the concept of everything's for me. And I I do think this answer differs with the different ages and generations and perspectives that have shaped our culture individually. And, you know, we grew up with, we're the OG participation trophy generation. (laughs) No, I definitely had a few from being in elementary school. And I think that really begins to shape it where everything exists for you. And we naturally, without thinking about that, begin to apply that to my relationship with God. It's almost as if I subconsciously submit to saying God exists for me, which is not what the Bible says, right? You know, the Bible says that we exist to worship and to praise and to glorify His kingdom and appoint to Him. But because everything else is about me, how am I supposed to understand that is actually not about me? And I think that's one of the, the cultural challenges that we face today, and I think that are also facing children and teenagers of today. Is we live in a society where it's all about you and your thing first, and I'm going to drive you everywhere and be a moober, which is a mom uber or a doober if you're a dad uber, and just chauffeuring and moving things around. And it's not to say we, don't, we shouldn't invest in our kids or our next generations and all those things, but we also need to make sure that we're pointing to Christ in all things that we do. But when we make it always about you, we forget to make it about God. Yeah, it's good. I think uh, to play off of that point, I think um, it's more difficult today than it has been, but also I think every generation has done the same thing. They, we tend to uh, superimpose our beliefs and our values over top of the Scripture rather than the opposite. The, the, the Scripture should superimpose over our cultural beliefs. Yeah. It's amazing that people will defend things that are cultural over the scriptures, uh, in the many years of ministry, 29 years of life, I have watched people get angry and upset and defend cultural pieces 
over top of the scriptures. And when you look back through uh, books and writings of things, you can see how, especially with, you know, you see the, the pictorial representation yeah. that you had there, yeah. that people have often superimposed their culture, their beliefs, their structure over top of the Bible and over top of the scriptures rather than l- flipping it around. And, and what that does is it causes us to almost look at a false narrative of what the scripture actually is saying. Yeah, that's good. So, so how do we avoid projecting our views of life onto what we suspect are God's view of us? So how do we flip that? So I think part of it is I've I've called this, all the kids in youth group would know this when I was doing that, is we pray the most dangerous prayer. And it's, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I really believe that that is the first step of that. And there's so many people in the Bible that have done that saying, God, I want to see your way. I want to see through your lenses, not my lenses. And God is very clear saying, my ways are not your ways. And when we apply this to, well, it's good and it's evil, but my perspective of good is going to be different than God's perspective of good. And the same is true of evil. And then we say, well, God, why are you allowing these things to happen? But when that's through my lens, it looks one way, but through God's, it's another. And we have to ask God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I think that's really the foundation of beginning to make that shift. Because if I can't hurt for the things that God yearns for, nothing else will matter. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the foundation of it. It's good. Pastor Dave Martin, I'll ask you this. How would Jesus be responding to the debates and discussions happening in our world today? I think what you really have to look at is in responding to any of the debates, any of the questions that are asked, we have to zoom back and look at the scriptures. What does the scripture have to say? It's easy to take sides. One of the things that is that I find um, difficult is uh, social media arguments. I personally don't get involved in them uh, because, again, we're forced to take sides. So you, I step back and say, what would Jesus think of this issue? What would he, what does the word of God say about this problem, about this situation that we're facing? And so if you go back to where he is and goes back to all of those things, it really, the scripture does give us the answers for modern day issues. And if you go all the way back to when he walked the earth and you wind all the way through history, Every answer that we really have needed is found in the scriptures and has answered every generation. It's just a matter of whether we're willing to listen or not. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Dave, what, what, what's, what does it mean to, uh, to be a Jesus first nation second Christian in, in 2020? That's really a, a weighted question, but to, if I could build off of what Dave said, I saw on the social media, just to provide a quick example, is it's thinking through, if you guys are familiar with the bracelets from the 90s, of uh, the WWJD bracelets, uh, stood for what would Jesus do? And you really have to stop and ask yourself that. But as a Christian too, you stop, and you know, we believe that the Holy Spirit is a part of our lives when we come to know Christ. And it's learning to be silent to hear the Holy Spirit speak. You know, how much more peaceful and easier would things be if we let the Holy Spirit speak instead of letting David speak? Or you insert your name in place of my name. 
And I think that that's part of that is learning to slow down, learning to really look at what is the Holy Spirit asking me to do in this moment. And sometimes it's a very tangible, you know God is speaking to you. There's other times where we know exactly what God would say because he gave us a whole book to read and know exactly what he says. And if you're saying, well, Pastor Dave, I'm not familiar with what God sounds like, well, then you need to spend more time in your word. You need to spend more time praying. You need to spend more time knowing what the voice of God sounds like because how can you hear God speak into your situation when you don't let God speak when you create time or don't create time for him? And that is the foundation of moving forward and living a Jesus first life is actually putting Jesus first in your life. I can't expect Jesus to emanate from my life when I don't prioritize him in my private time, in my time of prayer and worship. If Sunday morning is the only time I pray and talk to Jesus and even think about the things that glorify and honor God, I will never, ever live a Jesus first life. Mm. Amen. True. It's really good. So what what does that, looking at uh, kind of our time, does that mean we shame our nation? Does that mean we don't involve ourselves in the elect, electoral process? Does that, does that mean we, you know, undermine our elected officials? Does that mean we always support our elected officials, everything they do? Well, what does that look like in context of how we interact with our nation as a whole? I think, you know, again, let's go back to the scriptures. When you look in the book of Romans, it talks about how we are supposed to interact with our government and uh, respecting our officials. I think it's okay to disagree with an ideology Mm-hmm. but not make it personal. How many Christians have made some of uh, their disagreements with uh, our political leaders, they've made it personal rather than attack the ideology rather mm-hmm. than the person? God died for that person. Yeah. He loves that person mm-hmm. immensely. And what right do we have? We degrade God when we tear down a specific individual that he died for. Mm-hmm. We can disagree with an ideology without making it personal. Yeah. And I think we're to be involved in the process. And frankly, when we were, I was talking before about superimposing, I, I think that our Christianity being Jesus first, that our value system and our uh, understanding of the scriptures needs to influence how we vote and how we, and, and this is, I'm standing back from parties. I have voted across the aisle before because they have stood for something that I believe is biblical, mm-hmm. is scriptural. And so I think as a, as a follower of Christ, we have to step back from all the, the rhetoric that's going on in social media and the news and being influenced by all of that stuff and step back and look at the scripture and say, what should my attitude be? What should my actions be? What should my response be? You actually can, believe it or not, Nick, you actually can scroll by something on Facebook that you disagree with. Is that, is that possible? And you don't have to answer it. No, it's not. You sure? <laughs> and that's... Could I build on that? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You know, the second part of that question I think is also a critical piece if... The Jewish people really provide a great example of this. The Jewish people were ruled by God. And if you're familiar with the story, you can go and check it out in the early New Testament. And they said, no, God, we want a king like everybody else. Mm. Everybody else has a king. We want to be like that. So God said, fine, you want a king? Here's your king. You're going to be subject to it. You're going to, he warns them, like, you're not going to like it, but here you go. And since that moment, God's people have always had to say, I have to honor the leader, whether I agree or not, and their decisions. Does that mean I have to agree? No. Does that mean 
I have to support. And I think supporting and agreeing are two different things. We almost feel like in American society where support, you, you can't support somebody, but also disagree. And that those really are separate things, but we've kind of tied them together. Like, I'm allowed to disagree with somebody's lifestyle, but still support them as an individual. And we've, we've, we can do that when it's a big issue, like how we address the LGBTQIA plus community, right? But however, as soon as it's a politician, no, I will not give that same amount of forbearance. I will not give that same amount of understanding and grace. That's the problem. We are inconsistent. And that part of that means that I need to first choose to extend grace evenly. And that allows us to say, you know what? Whether I agree with it or not, this is the country I'm a part of. And this is where God has asked me to serve and to raise my family. And that means sometimes a politician's going to make a decision I don't agree with. But that also does not mean I have to make a stink about it. Because as Christians, we get caught in the trap of trying to adhere non-Christians to Christian standards, and the Bible says not to do that. But we try to do that so much that this is why, you know, we did a whole series in, in February talking about being for. You know, because Christians are often known what we're against, not what we're for. And we fall into that trap of trying to hold my standards to a person that doesn't know Christ. And as a result, I impede that person from maybe ever knowing who he is. That's good. That's really good. You know, it's interesting, in, in uh, Paul's writings in the book of Romans, chapter 13, Paul writes about our interaction with authority, with uh, officials, elected officials, those types of things. And he uses words like um, support and words like um, obedience and, and uh, submit. Like, these are really strong words that he uses. And he's referring to the Romans, which, like, the Romans were... Uh, masters at all kinds of things that are bad. And, um, and he's using that in reference to the Romans, understanding his culture, his context, and how much more in today's culture can we express the same respect for a role, not necessarily agreeing with everyone, but still being willing to say, you know what, this is where I live. I'm going to respect that, that role, that title. The last question I want to ask here um, is this. Can you, uh, how, would, how do you um, look at this idea? What does it look like in 2020 to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? That last statement that Jesus makes. What does that look like in today's time? I think if you play off of what you just said there, you talked about submit. Um, in the original Greek, that word submit literally means to willingly place oneself under another's authority. And as we live in this country, we willingly submit to the rules and the things. You know, some of us like masks, some of us don't. Some of us, you know, we have all different opinions about where we are with COVID-19 and all that. Um, but if the government has said to do this to protect someone else, then I have willingly chosen to put that on so that somebody else, if I happen to be a carrier, I don't pass that on to somebody else. And I think that's one of the things that we really have to look at is I choose to place myself under that authority. Doesn't mean I necessarily agree with it, but as a Christian, I choose to walk in submission to that as long as it does not contradict the scriptures. When you go back to where uh, 
a few of the disciples were called in, and, and they tried to shut them down and not speak the gospel. And says, hey, we're willing to submit to you, but you're never going to shut the message of the gospel down. In that area, we will not submit. But in every other area that does not contradict our faith, we will. And to uh, build on that, this is where we come back to the opening question, where we can fall into the trap as American Christians to manipulate what scriptures say as if this is what the Bible says, and you're impeding my right as a Christian. And that's where it is important that we spend that time with God to really say, this is really what the Bible says, to not impose saying, oh, because I'm against this, you know, this is, the Bible says this, you're impeding on my right as a Christian, and to make sure that we have that right. It's good. The way to fulfill what you just shared, Dave, and that's, that's perfect. I don't think I could say any of what you just and, said And any getting on what you're saying, uh, don't take things out of context in mm-hmm. a verse. You can take a verse and make it mean anything. Absolutely. Look at it in the context of what it's being said, actually, the chapter. Uh, I have two questions that were texted in. I want to hit these real quick. Can you give us a way to attain a proverbial license into someone, someone's life with a strong worldview and re- redirect them to God's way? So someone who has a real strong opinion about something, how, how do you earn the right to speak into their life? The way you earn the right to speak into anybody else's life, with patience, with grace. You know, if you look at the fruits of the Spirit, you've got love, joy, peace, forbearance. You go through the whole list. It continues to really say this is how you build that relationship to speak into somebody's life. It doesn't matter how strong-willed somebody may seem or opposing to everything. You know, how does somebody gain that right to speak into your life? think through it, right? It's good. And if that's how somebody speaks into your life, that's how you get permission to speak into somebody else's. And it's usually mutual. You usually don't have the ability to speak into somebody else's life unless that is reciprocated. And that's usually resulted in a relationship we would call friendship, where there's an understanding. And sometimes there's credentials that allow to speak into it, but you can find credential in anything, too. And that's the key is really building that relationship because sometimes people just say the things because they want to step an argument. You have to determine, is that worth my peace? Is that worth, worth my time? Is this really what God is asking me to engage in? Because Jesus walked away from haters. Yeah. And you have to use the judgment the Holy Spirit gives you to say, is this the time? Is this the right place for me to really exemplify Christ? And sometimes choosing to not engage that person is also the right thing. That's good. That's really good. We'll finish with this question and this idea of of judging. This is the question. There's a verse in Scripture that says, judge not lest you be judged, that idea. How how do we reconcile the contradiction of those statements, understanding that God is judging us, so to speak? The bottom line of that is, again, understanding the Scriptures. When the scripture says, judge not unless you be judged, that particular word is talking about passing a sentence upon. In other words, as a, in a criminal setting, don't pass a sentence upon. That person should go straight to hell. That's passing a sentence upon somebody. And that's the exclusive sentence that this is talking about, is saying, you, because of your sin, you're going to hell. Sorry. Right. And so you don't have the right to pass a sentence upon somebody. So that's what that scripture means. The mm-hmm. other scripture nearby where it says, so judge each other's works, that's a totally different word that's used there, and it means to weigh those things out. 
And so when we look at judging something, it's okay to weigh things out. We're told to weigh things out, but it is beyond our pay grade and it is beyond our scope. We are not God, and so we don't get to say, you deserve to go to hell. Because frankly, we all do. Yeah. For the wages of sin is yeah. death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's got the pay grade to make that call, yeah. not us. God is not telling us to commit somebody to hell. And we get that word, and we talked about this in uh, some of our groups before with our catalyst groups, where the phraseology, the words of what it means in today's society really impacts the words that are actually in Scripture, and judgment is one of those words. That Scripture, when you stand alone, says don't judge. But it's not saying don't use judgment. Mm -hmm. Don't make a good or bad decision based off of how you're interacting with somebody or a different situation. You know when you see somebody doing something dumb, you know it's dumb, right? And if they're making a poor choice, you make that choice saying, I'm not going to be a part of that, or I'm not going to you know, jump in and do this. If God were saying not to use judgment, not to make a judge decision in that moment, you're kind of missing the point. And that's where we can take Scripture out of context and say the Bible doesn't say that. It's good. It's good. Exactly. We had one more question text in. What do we do with the government policies that oppress people in need? How do we handle that? Deal with that. Say again. How do we? Uh, what do we do with the government pol- with government policies that might oppress someone in need? So government policies that oppress. I, I firmly believe that God calls some people to be involved in politics, mm-hmm. um, just like He called us to the ministry. Uh, he calls some people to be involved in politics, yeah. and. I don't think there's anything unchristian about being involved in that or being part of a change that says this policy is wrong, this policy is um, uh, difficult, it's causing hardship on uh, somebody. I think it's all about how we do it. How do we do it in a Christ-like fashion? How do we do it Mm -hmm. in a way that honors God? How do we do it in a way that will actually make a difference? That's that's the key. It is handling it in a way that at the end of the day, we're not making God look bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. want to talk about, you know, like, what, what does the Bible show in this? Now, the Bible shows that you stand up for the person that is in oppression. But the way you stand up still needs to honor God. Look at the Israelites. The Jewish people were oppressed over and over and over again. And chances are, if you just flip somewhere in the New Testament, you're finding a spot where the Israelites and the Jewish people were oppressed. What did Moses do? Moses sought God, and he felt God saying, you need to be part of moving my people from here into a place where there's freedom. But he didn't go, and he didn't create an attack. He didn't go and make a militia. He didn't do any of those things. He was given power and authority through Christ, and we all have that ability because the Holy Spirit's within each of us as followers of Christ. And he went to the leader and said, listen, let my people go. He did that over and over and over again, not in a way that was disrespectful, but saying, hey, I recognize you have authority. Would you please bless our people to be free? And after time and time again, God very clearly spoke to Moses that you're just going to go. And here's how you're going to go in my power, 
not in Moses' power, and he brought those plagues. And it was God who changed the heart of the politician. I've said this before, and I will always stand by this. It is not my job as a Christian to convict. That is the Holy Spirit's. It is my job to share the message of the gospel and the truth of God. And I do my part, and I will let the Holy Spirit do his. And I think that's true in today's political society where I can make a stand. I have the ability to share my perspective and to figure out what can I do in a way that still builds up Christ. But it's not my job to convict the politicians, or the people that are in leadership that I feel are in the wrong. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict. It is my job to be the messenger when the Holy Spirit asks me to speak. It's really good. Amen. You know, throughout church history, Christians have always been a friend of the oppressed, the overlooked, the downtrodden, and that's something that we are called to do as followers of Jesus. And uh, I mentioned this last month, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, it says that there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. And we should speak. But just because we're speaking in support of, of an oppressed person doesn't mean that we're degrading another person. Um, just like you said, we can disagree and, and still do that in a Christ-like manner. It's not a matter of us degrading one to build up another. Uh, God, as I mentioned earlier, doesn't pick sides. He's not for your side. He's for you, and he's for them, and we should be for them. And uh, when there are policies, things in place from a government, whether it be ours or another government, we should speak up for the oppressed. That doesn't mean we degrade those who maybe put those laws in place. It means that we speak up and we, we uh, allow the platform and the influence that we have to be able to speak for the oppressed. Uh, with that said, we're going we're gonna, to uh, wrap this up. Hopefully this was a meaningful discussion, but I want to I close that the band comes up here with this simple idea um, as we kind of wrap up today. When we, when we create God in our image, when we transpose our American ideals or our perspective, our worldview onto God, what we end up doing is we limit who God is. See, we live in a time period of, unlim- of limitless uncertainty, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Like tomorrow, we might be required to wear, uh, you know, like full aprons or hazmat suit. I, I, I don't know. But we live in a time of limitless uncertainty. It, it can be an anxious time, a scary time. When we transpose God in our image, we are now serving a limit, limited God because we are limited. Each and every one of us, we're limited we are called to serve a limitless God. And when we can recognize that God is above all, that God isn't created in our image, we were created in his image, we're able to serve a God that has no limit to the impossible things he can do. That's the God we're called to serve. And no matter what we're walking through, no matter what you're walking through today, we don't serve a God that is bound by our worldview, that is bound by our notions, our debates, our discussions, is bound by our opinions. God isn't bound by that. He's above all of that. And, and, and no matter what we're walking through, it can be hopeless if God is bound by our ideals, if God is bound by our view, our perspective. That's a hopeless place to be at. But when we recognize that God is above all, that we were created in God's image, he is not created in our image. And as we wrap up today, I wanna pray. I wanna pray that God would make himself known to you. You know, you can see throughout scripture, moments. Moses, one that Dave, Pastor Dave mentioned, is a good example of individuals who 
who uh, just wanted to know that God is real, that God is for them, that God is active, that God is, is not just some figure, figure of our imagination or, or just some object or, or our idol or anything like that, that God is real and he's active and he's breathing and he's working. Uh, maybe that's your prayer today. Maybe you're praying, man, God, I just need you to know that you're real. I wanna pray that God would make himself known to you today throughout this week and that you recognize God isn't for your side. He's for you. God isn't for your opinion. He's not for your political persuasion. He's not for your issue. He's for you. And and the same is true for that person sitting next to you, across the street, that person that maybe you've labeled as an enemy on social media that you've blocked. Like, God is for them too. So let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so very much. You care for us so much. God, that even in our our twisted mindset sometimes, the the, the moments that we maybe mess up, we stumble, the moments that maybe we get get, uh, uh, ourselves and maybe in the wrong place or the wrong side or whatever, Lord, that you still love us and you care for us. God, I thank you that you were not created in our image, but we were created in your image. Help us, Lord, to step into that imago Dei, Lord, that image of God. Uh, an image of God that is loving and caring, that, that isn't picking sides, but can, can speak life and grace into our world that so desperately needs it. God, for those that are watching or, or, or here today, Lord, that might be really struggling to know that you are real, Lord, I pray that you would make yourself real, make yourself known to them. God, reveal yourself in a powerful way today, this week, Lord. God, whatever circumstances you might need, Lord, make yourself known to people today. We thank you, God, for your blessing. Go with us, I pray. Strengthen us, Lord. God, in the debates and the discussions and all that happens in social media and our world, God, let us be those anchors of hope. God, let us be, Lord, those that perpetuate grace into our world. Let us not be those that degrade, that tear down to build up, but Lord, let us be those that speak for the oppressed, speak for those that are overlooked, that can speak life even into dead situations. I thank you for what you're going to do, what you're continuing to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us uh, at a Calvary home location or online. It's just such an honor to have you with us uh, each Sunday. Just a reminder, as I mentioned earlier, each morning at 7.30, uh, I'm doing devotionals. We're walking through the Bible book by book. Tomorrow morning, we'll be talking about the book of Daniel. So you can join me right here at Calvary uh, Church, our Facebook page, as we're looking at the book of Daniel. And I uh, hope you can join us for that. Uh, with that said, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next Sunday, 1030. Have a wonderful day. See you guys. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 